The Deviation Podcast. Welcome to the Deviation Podcast. My name is Paige, and I'm so excited to say that Jen Comas is here today. If you've been following my Instagram, you know I've been ridiculously excited about this interview. Um, And just so you have a little bit of background, she's one of the co-founders and she's a head coach at Girls Gone Strong. She's a nutrition coach, a NASM personal trainer, a USAW level one weightlifting coach, and a 200 hour yoga instructor. And that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. So again, thank you for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. So just to kind of start, where did everything begin? Like, where did you grow up? How is it that you've gotten to this point in your life? Yeah, so the thing that stands out for me probably the most, the thing that was most pivotal in my life in terms of getting into fitness and exercise was I had this little boyfriend that I was going steady with when I was 16 years old. And at the time we were hanging out and I'll never forget, he turned to me one day and he looked me right in the eyes and he said, you know, you're getting pretty fat. And at the time, so the way I had been raised, the way our society conditions us is to believe that fat is this horrible insult, that it's an awful thing. Hence my reaction. (laughs) Right. right. So at the time I, I took it to be this very negative thing. It was devastating for me. Um, I spent about three days crying about it, feeling really sorry for myself. And then I got really angry and I broke up with them and I convinced my mom to get me a membership to the gym, which at the time was this like racquetball club. <laughs> and I started going to the, the gym every night around like 9 PM. I would sneak in there, uh, when I knew it wasn't going to be very busy and I would mess with like all the machines and try to figure them out because I was so ashamed. I didn't want to, you know, look silly. So I was going to the gym, messing with these machines, I started taking group fitness classes. I was doing step aerobics and pretty soon I was doing spin and it, it really, it kind of started to change my life. Like that's, that's the thing that stands out for me. That's like the lightning bolt moment that stands out for me that kind of started to shift everything. And what started as this fitness journey that I felt like I had to do turned into this thing that I fell in love with. I really started to love the group fitness atmosphere. I loved step aerobics class and like meeting all these friends and the camaraderie and the energy and the music. It was just, I, I absolutely loved it. And I got to this point with that, that I decided I want to teach these classes. So I got certified to teach pretty much every group fitness class under the sun, like body pump, kickbox, step aerobics, like you name it, anything. Uh, So I was teaching group fitness classes that became personal training because I wanted to build a deeper relationship with these women. I wanted to work with them one-on-one. So that turned into personal training. From there, that's kind of where things started to get a little bit messy for me in terms of trying so hard to change my body composition and getting leaner. And question, how old were you when you started, like when you became an instructor? So I was doing group fitness classes from the time I was 16 until I was 25, I want to say. Yeah. And just this avid gym enthusiast, you know, so I was doing all these classes and yeah, so it wasn't until I was about 26 
that things kind of started to shift for me mentally into this kind of darker space where all I cared about was getting leaner. I had been involved in exercise for so many years. Now I was, you know, we were looking at different like magazine publications, oxygen and women's health and all this stuff back then. And I just really, really started to focus on changing my body. What, what started as this wonderful group fitness experience that I loved and brought me so much joy kind of started to shift into this other darker thing where I was constantly striving to get leaner and thinner. So I ended up doing a figure competition. Uh, I decided I wanted to get that like super lean, really muscly, hard look. Mm -hmm. And so I did a figure competition uh, that was in 2008 and ended up rebounding from that in pretty much every way possible. Mentally, physically, I ended up gaining about 30 pounds within a couple of months after the show. It was very, very rapid. And my hormones went completely berserk. My thyroid tanked, all sorts of stuff happened. Uh, And that is when I said, okay, enough is enough with this fat loss thing. Like I need to do something completely different that I've never done before. My doctors were telling me, you can't do all this cardio anymore. You've got to pull back on that. So I thought, well, what am I going to do with myself if I can't do all this cardio that I've done for, you know, well over a decade of my life. And I had this strange thought. I was watching my now best friend, Molly Galbraith, she was really into powerlifting and she was posting all these videos of her deadlifting and squatting all this huge weight. And I thought, you know, I have never done anything like that. I am going to get as strong and jacked as possible. (laughs) So I completely shifted my mindset and cut all the cardio. I stopped teaching group fitness. I stopped taking it. I shifted all of my focus to powerlifting and that's kind of where everything started. (laughs) So how long did that shift take? Because that couldn't have been like an easy thing to hear from your doctor. You've got to change your, really your whole life. You know, it was really interesting. I want to say it was about over the course of, it, it was short, six months maybe, because I was, I felt so terrible. I had no energy. My skin was a nightmare. I couldn't function on a day-to-day basis anymore. Even as hard as I was trying to like dig deep for this energy to continue doing cardio and keep dieting and stuff, I just didn't have it anymore. You know, I had completely, it was, it was so strange. It was like, I had just tapped that well completely dry. And as someone who prides herself on having this like ironclad willpower, you know, and I can do anything, I'll push through anything. I couldn't anymore. Like my body put like just pulled the e-brake on it wouldn't let me do it so when I had this idea like you know I'm just gonna get you know big and jacked all of a sudden I was like this is the best idea I've ever had and I very much tend to be a light switch type of person like I'm either all in on one thing or I'm completely out on it and so it was fairly easy for me to flip that switch and such a since it was such unexplored territory for me I was so excited about it (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, because it's a whole nother world. Yeah. You would, it sounds like you would really, and based on what you're sharing with me and then what I've read in like blog posts you've written and things, you were all in with cardio. You knew everything there was to know and you taught everything <laughs> you could possibly teach. So now it was a whole nother world to get into. Yeah, absolutely. All in. I Fat loss was the only thing that I cared about. It was. It's so interesting to look back and reflect on that now because it's so different from how I look at things now. Uh, that's all I cared about. It's all I exercised for. That was the sole purpose of my exercise. It was the only reason I ate food was to try to achieve a certain body composition. So it was, I was all in and it, it got to the point where it was mentally exhausting, certainly, but physically it, it broke me. Yeah. 
Cause you're, if you could walk me through like a day that you, like your average day, cause I, I read something somewhere about it and it just, my jaw dropped for a second. Yeah. So for this went on for a couple of years, but in, uh, during this time I was working in Las Vegas. So I was working at a couple of different gyms, teaching lots of classes at the time. Um, an average day for me was getting up and teaching 6am spin class. And I was participating. So when I say teaching, I don't mean queuing. I mean like full blown participation. This is my class too. (laughs) So 6am yoga, uh, or excuse me, 6am spin, 7am yoga. I would teach yoga for an hour. And then I'd usually have a couple hour break. I might teach like a boot camp class at like 11. And then at noon was my lunch break. So I would run on my lunch break for 45 to 60 minutes and usually teach another class or so in the afternoon, which was typically like another type of like boot camp or step aerobics. And then at night I was going to this really high intensity cardio kickbox class for 90 minutes. And this was happening at minimum five days a week, if not six. And it was, it was rough. I was so sore and so sick all of the time. I was taking a leave to get out of bed in the morning. And this stuff, like when I say it out loud, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so much more ridiculous out loud than it is even in my head, you know, but that's, that was my life for many, many years. And it's, I mean, it's fair because you were surrounded by other people that weren't doing different things. I mean, you guys were all in a similar boat and that's kind of the mindset around it. So it's just, I don't know. I feel like it's, you get, you get stuck in what you're doing and then you just, you keep going sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And all my, all my girlfriends at the time in Las Vegas were all fitness instructors as well. They were all personal trainers. They were all competing in figure shows. So, I mean, this was very normal, you know, especially in our circle of friends. No one even raised an eyebrow because it's, it's what we did. Right. So then how did, how did things change? Because it, it was a light switch, but there had to be like a little bit of an adjustment and then you started teaching different classes, I assume, and it's just a whole nother world you walked into. Yeah, I actually stopped uh, teaching group fitness classes altogether. Period. Um, okay. Yeah, so it, that kind of started a little bit when I started training for my figure show. Mm-hmm. My coach at the time was like, you are doing way too much cardio. Like, this is going to completely mess with our plan. So she was like, you've got to pull way back on that. So I kind of started to pull back on group fitness classes at that point pulled way back on uh, teaching those and how much cardio I was doing. And then it wasn't until after my figure show that my body just went berserk, mental breakdown, you know, and I, that's when I was like, it's gotta, something's gotta change. And I couldn't figure out, well, what am I going to do with myself? Because this is all I know. But then I decided I'm, I'm going to be a power lifter and that's just what I decided to do. And so I started, uh, it's so funny. I look back and just laugh. I started following this website, uh, elite FTS and who, anyone who's listening, that's a power lifter will know exactly what I'm talking about, but, uh, started following EliteFTS.com, And I mean, these are huge men. These are huge, huge powerlifting men, you know, some of the best power lifters in the world. And I just started reading everything they wrote and all their resources that they put out. And I loved it. Like I couldn't get enough of it. And I started uh, sending the owner of Elite FTS, Dave Tate, I started sending him like, not sending him, but tweeting him, you know, like in response to all of his stuff on Twitter. And I'm sure at the time, this was long before CrossFit was a thing and women were lifting really heavy all the time. I'm sure he was just like, who is this woman that's like constantly (laughs) tweeting to me about powerlifting? So I was really excited about it. Yeah, that's that's just awesome to find something that like gets you that amped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so then, then what happened next? So I dove headfirst into powerlifting, and I really, really fell in love with it. It was really interesting. 
because it was so different than anything that I've done, uh, I really, really enjoyed the challenge of it. It was a completely different type of challenge, and I am definitely the type of person that loves challenging things. I like to learn new things, and so getting into powerlifting for me had uh, a very steep learning curve because also, again, back then, it wasn't like it is nowadays where there's online coaches everywhere and there's all these resources and YouTube videos and stuff. It was kind of different, you know, back in 2009, I want to say this was. Um, that, that type of stuff was out there, but it just wasn't nearly as prevalent as it is now, especially for women. So I decided I was going to teach myself how to power lift and figure it out. And so I ended up pulling out this powerlifting program that I started to do just because I thought it was cool, which was Westside for Skinny Bastards. And I was like, this sounds like it'll be perfect for me. So I started doing this program, which to be honest, I had no business performing this program back then, way over my head. Um, but I figured it out. I did all my research and kind of got into it. And powerlifting, it stuck around. I mean, it's still one of my true loves. And I have, I did that for very seriously. Like I only trained for powerlifting for several years after that. So God, that's cool. That's just, that's just awesome. I mean, it's, I've gotten really lucky with a lot of the, or with all of the people that I've gotten to interview, but it reminds me of, um, John Carmichael, who he's, he's about to be doing a Ted talk actually. And he's like this huge photographer. And that was his exact or similar experience with photography where he just got really passionate about it and learned absolutely everything he could about it. And it's just, I don't know. I just love hearing about when people are so passionate about something and it's just a whole nother world opens up to them. It's so fun to like dive into something that we don't know anything about because everything is so new and it's so exciting and you make progress with everything so quickly, the more you learn about it. And I find that that type of progress, that's what keeps you going. You know, it's that progress that kind of inspires more motivation to take more action. So yeah, I was, I was hooked. Still am. So then what year, what year are we at now where you've gotten like, you've gotten really good at powerlifting Mm -hmm. at this point? I want to say, so this was probably in, hmm, 2000, I want to say 2011 to maybe 2013 was kind of where I was just so, so into it. (laughs) And then did you ever, did you ever like miss cardio at that point? No, I actually took it, which I I do this type of thing often. I took it to such an extreme that I stopped doing any and all cardio. So that presented its own unique problems because obviously if you're lifting really, really heavy weights, like you need to have appropriate conditioning in order to do so. And that became a barrier for me because I was like, I'm done with cardio. I'm going to, you know, just pull all of it out. And I did. And it got to the point where, you know, the coaches that I was working with at the time were like, okay, it's time to add some cardio back in. Like we need to get your conditioning back Mm -hmm. up. So, but that's when I was doing cardio. It was very purposeful. It was to enhance my sport. It was no longer, uh, seeking a change in body composition that was still going on, but that was more with my diet, but the cardio was for the purpose of improving my lifting. And then at what point did like your relationship with food change? At what point did you end up like just throwing out your scale and making that adjustment? Yeah. So when I rebounded from my figure competition, so back in 2008, Mm -hmm. I dove into powerlifting. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get like strong and jacked. I don't care about any of this stuff anymore. Like with getting leaner, 
that ended up kind of coming back. So what happened is I was focusing on powerlifting. <clears throat> Excuse me. I thought I was kind of healed from like all my thyroid stuff, which hadn't been diagnosed yet. So I thought I was all better. And I was like, okay, well, I guess it's time for me to try to get leaner again. So I started working with another nutrition coach. I started following a really, really restrictive diet again because I was like, okay, you know, I, I feel fine now. I've gotten really strong. Like, let's see what, what, what I can do. And I did. I got, you know, really lean again and I was still really strong. So I was feeling pretty good. But then again, the thyroid stuff started to catch up to me. And this time it was even worse. It got to the point that I remember laying on the couch on a Saturday crying because I couldn't stand up. Like I was so, I felt so exhausted. Like there, there, I don't even have the proper way to describe the type of exhaustion that had like come over my body. I wasn't sleeping well. I was having skin issues again. Like all the stuff that I thought was in my past had like resurfaced. And it was then that I started working with different doctors, endocrinologists, naturopaths, because I still hadn't been diagnosed for thyroid stuff. I just knew I was feeling really, really crummy. Mm -hmm. And uh, it wasn't until then, finally, that my doctors got to the bottom of it. And they were like, you are hypothyroid. You have all these hormone issues. Your cortisol rhythm's a nightmare, like all this stuff. And they said, you have to chill out on the dieting. So all my doctors have told me that they believe that my hypothyroidism, which is non-autoimmune, that's important to mention, is was brought on by myself with all my dieting and all my exercising over years and years and years and years, which is a really tough pill to swallow. Um, because I, I recently did a post on Instagram and wrote an article on, uh, on girlsgonestrong.com about this, but we can sacrifice our health for the sake of fitness. And it's so real. And I see women do this all the time. And I did it myself. I did it to myself twice, like in, in these huge chunks, <laughs> you know? And so I know firsthand how scary it can be. And I, to this day, still deal with hypothyroidism. I still can't figure out my hormones, you know? So it's, it's a lasting thing. It's, it's tough and it's scary. So that, that is when I was diagnosed as hypothyroid and my doctors were like, listen, you have to chill out. Like no more of this wacky dieting, like no more. That's, that was my wake up call. That's when things changed. And that was, I want to say that was 2012 or 13. And that's when things really started to shift for me. So is that, was that the point that you focused on more just like eating a balanced diet, you know, with the whole like 80% on point, 20% like doesn't whatever works type of thing. It was really, really hard for me. Full transparency after being entrenched in not only the fitness industry, but diet culture for my, you know, the, the better part of my adult life, I really struggled with it. And after they said like, you've got to chill out, I was like, well, surely there's got to be a way. Like I can figure this out, you know, whether it's carb cycling or paleo or whatever. I can't, I had, I, I experienced a lot of resistance to it. And that's when I decided I needed to find something to do with myself. <laughs> so, because at, at the time, what was happening is, yes, I was powerlifting. I had kind of started to shift away from that a little bit. I was just more like strength training and doing all this fun stuff, like, you know, in the gym. Uh, but my life was still the gym and nutrition and the gym and nutrition. And when you're trying to pull yourself out of that, you have to change your environment. Like, you know, you can't... I, 
you can't just keep going obsessively to the gym and obsessing over your nutrition and hoping for a different outcome with your mindset. It just doesn't work that way. You know, so that's when I decide I, I sat there one day. I, I will never forget this either. Again, sitting back on the couch on a Saturday, I was scrolling through uh, Facebook and my friend Jen Sinclair had posted this photo of herself in an airplane upside down. It like her and her husband, her and her then husband had received a gift from someone for their wedding. It was like for this like um, aerial plane ride. So she, the, they took that plane ride and she was upside down and her hair was like flying up overhead and just like the biggest smile on her face. And she took a selfie and she posted it on Facebook and it's still like, I don't know what it is about that picture, but still like something about it just gives me chills because it was just like this unadulterated joy. And as I sat there on the couch, stressing about when my next meal was and worrying about what time I was going to go to the gym, it hit me that I had nothing else to do in my life. And I was like, this, this has to change, you know? And so the very next morning I woke up and I texted my brother and I said, I think I want to buy a motorcycle because my brother's always been into anything with two wheels, anything and always. And he and I are very close. And he responded back to me and he said, who is this? And what have you done with my sister? (laughs) Um, so I ended up flying home to Utah, uh, about three or four days later and we pulled the trigger and bought me a new motorcycle. (laughs) I had never ridden one. I had never, I didn't know how to ride one. Uh, but we, we went and bought one and that was kind of, that was the, the springboard for me to get away from my nutrition because, or, or my dieting and my like never ending quest for a leaner body because the motorcycle led to a mountain bike which led to a dirt bike, which led to a downhill mountain bike and all these amazing fun things that I fell so head over heels in love with. And it's because it had nothing to do with what my body looked like. It didn't matter. Like all these things brought me so much fun and joy and like excitement and connection with all the people, like my friends and my family. And it didn't matter what my body looked like on those bikes. And that, that buying the motorcycle was the impetus for change for me with my mindset. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I like can't stop smiling over here. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. It's a pretty wild ride. So then you just opened up your whole world to a whole bunch of other different worlds that were still, I mean, you're still being active and being out there, but you're, you're not just immersed in nutrition and fitness. Yeah, man. absolutely. It's so, it's, I look back and I just don't even understand if my brother was here, he would laugh because he knows that for so many years of my life, I was just so indoorsy. You know, I never, I never wanted to go hike or bike or camp or do anything because my biggest priority was always what kind of food's going to be there. Am I going to be able to follow my meal plan? What's the gym availability, you know? And so it's been really refreshing and incredibly freeing to say the least to find things to do outside of the gym. And that's a piece of advice that I give to women and men all the time that are struggling with this. You know, like I can't break this obsession with the gym and nutrition. It's like, you have to find something else to do that brings you joy in your life. Oh yeah. So important. Absolutely. I remember there was one time was stressing about something because I had a bunch of stuff to do one day. And um, and I told Parker, I was just like, I, I don't know what to do. Like, Charlie is going out of his mind right now. He needs exercise. I haven't gotten to the gym. Um, I have, you know, 500 other things, whatever. And he was just like, why don't you just take Charlie for a walk? And I was like, that doesn't count as exercise. And he's like, <laughs> okay. I was like, but that's not, that's not my plan. That's not like... 
So yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. not the perfect plan. Mm-mm. And that's that we all get so tripped up on that. You know, I find it's that's so common in the fitness industry is we want everything to be perfect or we don't think it counts. You know, and that's just there's no such thing as perfect. And like learning how to take those like little small actions are so incredibly powerful. So I feel you there. <laughs> no, that post that you made, I don't remember when it was, but it like it has not left my mind. It's literally something, and I sound a little crazy saying this, but something that goes through my mind at least once a day. Good. Just like it doesn't matter how much time you put in, so long as you're like you're you're doing some form of a workout, or you're get, getting your move your body moving in some way. Like don't strive for that ideal perfection of what you have planned. Just at least get something in. Yeah, absolutely. Which was a terrible synopsis of that, but yeah, <laughs> you know where I'm coming from. <laughs> yeah. um, so then from there was Girls Gone Strong. Is that what started to come next or what's what came next? So Girls Gone Strong was actually kind of plugged into the middle. That, that timeline was kind of plugged into the middle of all this other stuff. Uh, so Girls Gone Strong was co-founded back in 2011. Okay by myself and Molly Galbraith and five other amazing, amazing women. And we, the story of how that started is so interesting too. Uh, you just never know what will happen. We, all seven of us had gotten together because we wanted to go support our girlfriend, Julia Leduski, uh, in a powerlifting meet. This was in Tennessee. So we all got together and we said, okay, we're going to go support Julia. We'll work out and train and do all this stuff. Cause all seven of us were super into powerlifting, all seven of us. And, uh, we, so we showed up at this gym in Tennessee and we were all training and having this great time. And the entire time we were training, we were all just like lamenting the fact that there's not a resource for strength training out there that's designed for women. All of us were just complaining and talking about it and like, why, why, why? Then we were sitting down on the floor at the gym after our training session, talking about the same thing again. And it was like this light bulb went off. And we were like, there's not a resource out there for women who want to strength train. Well, there is now. Like, we're going to create something. The seven of us are going to get together. We're going to create a website. We're going to start putting information out there for women who are serious about strength training without all the fluff. And by the fluff, I mean like the tighten your tummy in 10 days or slim your thighs in three days or any of that other, you know, just like nonsensical (laughs) garbage. So, yeah, we decided we're going to do this thing. So we got a Facebook page um, up and running within the next couple of days. And the growth was astronomical. It it took us all by surprise to the point we couldn't keep up with it. Um, I want to say our Facebook page hit like 20,000 likes within two weeks. It was incredible. Um, And the seven of us had all developed a really strong name for ourselves individually in the fitness and strength industry. And so we had a whole bunch of colleagues that came forward when they heard that we were doing this thing and they were so supportive and they shared it and they shared it with their audiences. And so that's how we grew so quickly and got such a big jump. So that was back in 2011. I just like got chills. Jeez, that's so cool. You never know what's going to happen with your day. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. And then it sounds like you guys all had a similar mentality around fitness and kind of the stance you guys wanted to take on things. Because you guys don't do, you don't do supplements, like you don't nothing, which is kind of amazing. Yeah, we, all of us had our own, uh, 
like our own kind of little niche and specialty. You know, mine was always nutrition and nutrition coaching. Uh, Nagar Fanuni was kettlebells. Molly was more powerlifting and barbell strength, you know, so we all kind of had like our individual things. And over the course of like the next year or two, I want to say uh, the structure of Girls Gone Strong changed. Many of the women uh, decided to go on and stick with doing like what they were doing, like not to be a part of Girls Gone Strong anymore. Um, and so, yeah, we were all about the strength training in the beginning. Man, were you worried at all about having so like seven co-founders? Because that's, I mean, that's a lot of people's opinions to be it's, putting into one basket. Yep, it's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And we, we discovered that, you know, at the first um, or at the beginning, we thought, you know, we're, we're great friends. This is going to be great. And we still are friends and everyone's so wonderful and so amazing. But we did learn that, a company has to have some type of structure in terms of decision-making. Otherwise it just doesn't work. You can't have seven people that are all in the same exact, you know, you can't have like seven CEOs. <laughs> like it, right. just, yeah. it just doesn't work that way. And so, yeah, we did end up uh, kind of, we learned a lot on our, along our journey about that and business in general. <laughs> what would you say, was there one in particular learning experience that really just sticks out for you? In terms of like the business structure? Yeah, in terms of the business structure and in terms of also working with friends, because that's... Yes, I think that it's really important to have expectations. We always, always need to have expectations. And I, I believe this is even more important when you're doing business with friends or family, because oftentimes we make a lot of assumptions. You know, oh, like so-and-so is a good friend. Surely they would never like not pay this bill on time or whatever the case may be. Uh, so mapping out expectations is incredibly important for everything. I believe for business relationships, it doesn't matter what it is. Mm -hmm. So expectations is crucial to me. And also, um, entering into an operating agreement is also very important. Yeah. Very, very important. And also these things are tough when you're, when you're doing business with a friend or someone you care about it, it can be difficult to say like, Hey, we need to sit down and drop an operating agreement. We need to talk about expectations and map those out. It can be an awkward and uncomfortable conversation, but it is something that I would recommend to every single solitary business owner who's doing business with anybody for any type of reason. So, so important. I could not agree more. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Because money gets tough. Money, money is a tough subject, uh -huh. period, but especially when it's somebody that you care about, it's just like, okay, you're not going to do this, but let's say, you know, you went out of your mind a little bit, like let's, let's have something in place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. One of the things that you had mentioned in something I read was that your grandmother was your, was like your biggest inspiration through all this. Why is that? She, my grandma, who is my mom's mom, she's Japanese and she's the strongest woman that I know. She's the strongest woman that I've ever met. Um, she married, she met my grandpa who was a sergeant in the U.S. Army right after World War II and she was in Japan when she met him. And she fell in love with him and she fell in love with him and was so devoted to him that she moved to the U S with him and for a Japanese woman to move to the U S with a U.S. soldier after world war II, uh, I think says a lot about her dedication and her love, uh, to my grandpa. And so she arrived in the States, not speaking any English and had my mom and three other kids. 
and she made it work. She figured it out here. And she was always, um, she was my partner in crime for everything. So when I was young, if I wanted to cut my hair and my mom said, no, my grandma would do it. If I wanted to pierce my ears and my mom said, no, my grandma would take me, you know? And so we were glued just together, attached to the hip for everything. And she was always, always there for me. And she, ever since I was a young girl, she would tell me, you can do, like, she always would tell me you can do anything you want to do. You know, she used to try to convince me to do all sorts of stuff and try to be all sorts of like, a you know, <laughs> like a professional pianist and <laughs> all these like things that just make me laugh. But it's because she really thought I was capable of anything. And she, from such a young age, she was, she wanted me to shoot for the stars and she told me every single day to do it. That, I mean, and that just like kind of shines through into everything you do because that's what you put out into the world. Yeah. And that is, I mean, at least based on what I've read, that's, that's how you coach too. Mm-hmm. And that's what you brought into this company as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so where did it, where did it go from there? So you, you, and who is still part of Girls Gone Strong right now? Uh, Molly Galbraith. Yeah. Okay. Just me and Molly. Mm-hmm. So how did, like, how did that come to be and... How has it evolved since those beginning days of having seven people? Yeah, so we, uh, everyone kind of just started going their separate ways. You know, like once we all got together, we started this thing. It was so amazing. It was great. But the biggest, the hardest thing for us was trying to figure out, okay, like all seven women have a a business on their own already. Like they already run a fitness type of brand on their own. How are we, how, how is that going to be different from what girls gone strong offers? Because it's, you don't really want to have the same thing offered on both platforms. It just doesn't make sense. Um, so eventually everyone kind of was like, you know, I think I'm just going to focus on my own thing. I'm going to focus on my own brand and everyone kind of just kind of went their separate ways. You know, everyone stays in touch. Everyone is still such a good friend. They're so amazing. And it's been so cool to see how everyone has evolved into their more into their own brand and who they are today, because it's so different than, you know, when we met, uh, and created GGS, you know, and, and as for GGS, when we started that, we wanted it to be a resource for strength training. We, our antidote to any ailment was strength training. Like it didn't, it did not matter what a woman came to us for. We were like, you should probably strength train. You know, if you want to lose fat, you should strength train. If you want to feel better about your body, you should probably strength train. It was what we recommended for everything. We pushed it hard. And while strength training is still so near and dear to our hearts, we hope all women choose to resistance train because there are so many benefits to it. Oh, yeah. But we have discovered that uh, what's most important is that women do whatever they want with their bodies. And so things look very different for us now because we are so respectful of that. Uh, whereas in the past, I don't think we would have been disrespectful of it, but I do think we would have been like, you should strength train more, <laughs> you know? And so now if someone comes to us and they're like, Hey, I'm an endurance athlete. I love to run. I love to cycle. We are like awesome. You know, we're so supportive of that. And we just really want to give women a safe space to be able to do whatever they want with their body while providing the best evidence-based body positive information that we can. Is there a particular, a particular person that you've worked with a particular experience through Girls Gone Strong that just... Uh, kind of like is the epitome of why you wanted to do this in the first place and kind of your, your basis of it all. 
You know, I think a lot of it was just growth, uh, intentional growth and evolution on our part. We listened. I would say, while it's not a person, I would say our community has shaped the way GGS has evolved because what happened is we started to really listen. We really, really listened to the women in our community. Every single email that comes through to us, every DM, every social media DM, it doesn't matter what it is. We respond to all of them. We respond to every single one. And it's because our women in our community are our life. Like they are our entire, that's, that is Girls Gone Strong is our community. And by listening to them, that's who has pushed us and helped us grow and evolve and change for the better. You know, we would have you know, a women write in and they're like, Hey, you know, I don't, I notice you don't have any information on, you know, uh, postnatal nutrition. And we're like, Oh, you know what? You're right. We don't, how do we not have any information on, you know, whatever it is that they're asking when it comes to fitness and nutrition. So we're like, we will get you an expert and we're going to write this article, you know? And so we, truly listen like and I'm sure I would say a lot of people who run a business probably say like yes we really listen to our our customers and our people but I cannot emphasize enough like we listen <laughs> we yeah, listen it really takes it to a whole nother level yeah we talk about it you know as a team we are constantly striving to do our best and to serve women in an all-inclusive way mm-hmm. it's very important to us yeah no kidding and it's very like if you if you haven't looked at Girls Gone Strong before, just do yourself a favor and look at it. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. Um, so how exactly does does all of that work? Like, how would somebody get in, more involved with Girls Gone Strong? Well, we have a couple of free online Facebook communities, which are so amazing, and I hang out in there often. Uh, the first one is called SWOLU, which is an acronym for Strong Women Lift Each Other Up. That's a free uh, closed Facebook group. You can just go in there as a woman or anyone who identifies as a woman, request uh, access. We'll go ahead and grant it. And then and it's this amazing community of like 25,000 plus women in there. Um, and the topics are, I love going in there. I'll just geek out on this because I'll go in that group and I'll, you know, someone will post and they're like, oh, I'm having like this really hard day. You know, my kid didn't sleep last night. And it's like this outpouring of support. I mean, like 50 plus comments just all of a sudden right off the bat, you know, cheering this person on and asking questions and listening to them. And it is so amazing. I will sit at home sometimes and just cry because I'm like, oh how gosh. is this a thing? Like, how is this so amazing? So strong women lift each other up, free Facebook closed, uh, closed Facebook group. That's an option. We also have uh, coaching girls gone strong coaching and training women. That's a group for coaches and trainers who want to learn more about coaching and training women. Mm-hmm. So that's a really cool community too, for people uh, who are looking to looking to, or already do coach or train women. And then how has your life continued to change with Girls Gone Strong as that's changed and you have, I mean, you're doing lots of stuff all of the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my, I feel like my life probably now is more focused on growth, on constantly, and I have to sometimes be careful with this, on constantly trying to figure out like how I can do better, how I can show up better. And not in this, 
weird, vicious cycle of like, I'm never good enough, but like genuinely, how can I be a better coach? How can I be a better listener? What can I do to better support women? Um, and so it's those types of things that I think I really seek out. Um, I've become a lot more open to, uh, criticism and learning how to receive that because we get it when you're online, you will get that, you know? And so I think, uh, it's been really helpful for me in cultivating a growth mindset for sure. <laughs> yeah. None, none of what you just mentioned is easy, especially the criticism part, because everybody, so everybody, or most people, I should say, have something to say. So yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, on the same lines of other people, if there, if there was one trait you could instill in the rest of the world, what would it be? Hmm. What would it be? Oh, there could be a couple. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I think even though I just talked about this, I really think it would be learning to cultivate a growth mindset. I read the book Mindset uh, by Carol Dweck many years ago, and it was a game changer for me. I used to be so terrified, terrified of criticism. If anyone said anything like, oh, you know, maybe your water bottle should like be a different color. I was so deeply offended and I would cry and I would get the shakes. <laughs> and it's just, we can't go through life that way. I think that it's really important to be open to feedback, even when that feedback is not the feedback you want to hear. Cause it, it sometimes isn't, you know, and I think it's important to develop a skill that's able to step back, kind of zoom out from the situation and, and ask like, okay, is this true? Is this criticism that this person is saying true? Because sometimes it's not true. Sometimes it's just this like internet troll. That's like, you know, you're so ugly and dumb and you have to just be able to brush that off, you know, but I've had people, you know, for example, I had a client reach out to me, uh, I want to say two years ago, and she said, hey, I just want you to know that the way that you worded this in our coaching group, uh, it didn't offend me, but it could have, like the way that this was said. And she's like, I don't think that was your intention, but I just want to bring uh, your attention to this. And so I kind of sat with it for a minute. And I, when I zoomed out and looked at it, I was like, she is right. Like the way that the language that I used and the words that I used, I don't even remember what I was talking about at the time, but I remember thinking, you know, this is actually true. So I think a growth mindset is being able to look at every opportunity as a learning experience, whereas a fixed mindset thinks that our outcome is already in place. Like no matter what we do, it doesn't matter. You know, whereas a growth mindset says, okay, let me look at the situation. How can I learn from it? Even if I seemingly failed, like what is the learning experience in there for me? And I think a growth mindset, like it can take people so much further and it takes practice. It is not easy. Like there are some things that I'm still like, Ooh, that is so fixed minded of me. <laughs> you know, but we can cultivate a growth mindset. So I think that would be that. So has that just been a matter of like lots of practice or yeah. Okay. So much practice. And I will say that Molly has been mm -hmm. instrumental in me learning and cultivating a, more of a growth mindset. She is the greatest. She, she has so many great qualities, but something that she's so good at is looking at a situation and saying, okay, this is, this is what we try to do. Here's our outcome. What could we have done differently for a different outcome? What did we learn from this? And how can we take that information to change it in the future? She's so level-headed about it and so just, okay, like just takes it and looks at it and, and doesn't attach emotions to it. And working with her and just being so close to her as my friend has been 
so helpful for me. Not only has it helped me de-dramatize some situations, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's really helped me say like, okay, this wasn't our desired outcome. Mm -hmm. What could we have done differently? What's our learning lesson here? Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Having people around you that inspire you and that are really good at things that maybe you struggle with makes a world of difference because nobody can be, it's like what we were talking about before in regards to like being a doctor, nobody can be good at absolutely everything. So thank God we're all good at slightly different things. Absolutely. Um, but in regards to, I want to ask you this question and this is as smooth a segue (laughs) as I can get, um, in regards to things that you might not be so good at or that you're striving to be better at. What would you say would have been kind of your your lowest low in life and how did you work through it? Gosh, this is probably going to come completely out of left field. <laughs> Speaking of smooth segues, uh, pro- I feel like probably the lowest low for me was I went through a divorce about four years ago and it was surprisingly difficult for me. It was a very amicable split. Uh, it was absolutely meant to be, uh, the way it ended up, but we were not, it was not meant to be a marriage that lasted. And it was really interesting because I looked at it as such a monumental failure, even though I could look at this individual and know, okay, this is not for me and it's not for him either. Like this is, this is not supposed to be a thing, but it very much felt like a failure to me. And I carried a lot of shame with me about that. Um, for a couple of years, actually, it was really interesting. And it ended up causing uh, some depressive episodes. I had never struggled with depression ever in my life. I was always, oh, this is going to be such an ignorant statement, but I'm going to roll with it. Whenever someone had told me like, oh, you know, I'm dealing with some depression right now, I'd always be like, okay, I'm going to try to cheer this person up. Like I'm going to try to, and depression doesn't work that way. <laughs> you yeah, know? But that's a fair thing. Totally. Yeah. And it was very eye-opening for me. I, uh, I, it, took me by surprise. Those episodes took me by surprise to the point that I was like, what is this? Cause I tend to be a very cheerful and like giggly, laughy person in general. So it was actually a really great learning experience for me in terms of me understanding depression. Like it doesn't matter if you're a cheerful, happy, like giggly person all the time, you can sink into like a depression episode that will scare you, <laughs> you know? And so I think that's probably that year was tough. How did you, how did you get through that? Cause that's not easy by any means. That was the first year that I started telling people I wasn't okay. So throughout my entire life, if someone was like, Hey, like, are you okay? And I completely wasn't okay. And I'd be like, Oh yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> and it wasn't until that point that I started being super honest and I let myself feel it. Uh, after my ex-husband left, I laid on my apartment floor this is so vivid for several days and pretty much just zoned out. I was either like staring off into space or just hysterically sobbing. And in the past I would have like, okay, like let's snap out of it and go to the gym or, you know, whatever. And I didn't, I didn't even try. Like I just let myself feel it. And I think because of that, it did help me move through it slightly more quickly than I would have had I tried to cover it up. You know, my friends and my family would call me and they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm not okay. You know? And I think that that's something really valuable. I learned from that experience is 
we don't always have to be okay. Like we don't have to give that answer. You know, granted, if like the cashier at the grocery store asks you how your day is, you're probably not going to be like, <laughs> I just got divorced. But you know, when our friends and family ask us, they're asking us because they genuinely care. And by us saying I'm fine when we're not, we're doing ourselves this huge disservice as a human being with so many complex emotions, you know? So I think letting myself really feel it and coming to terms with the fact of, yes, like I'm struggling with depression right now. I'm not okay right now. And going to see a therapist, like that's, that's what ended up kind of getting me through it. Which is so strange that it's like, that's not something that's often talked about. Yeah. And it, something like that makes a world of difference. Absolutely. I was going through a really rough time about, uh, it was about a year ago actually. And you know, really grateful for friends and family and things like that. And also like getting into therapy and having somebody that's completely unbiased, mm -hmm. being able to talk with them, just, it changes the whole ball game. Yeah. Therapy gets a negative, there, there seems to be this like negative connotation associated with therapy, uh, by so many. And in my experience, it seems like the older generation. So like my parents, my aunts and uncles, you know, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to therapy. And they're like, Oh my gosh, what's wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's so incredibly helpful. I think that most people, I'm not going to say everyone, but I want to say that the overwhelming majority of people could benefit from going to therapy. Oh, yeah. You know, even, even if you think everything's groovy, you know, I mean, Molly and I have been going to therapy for years separately, not together <laughs> for years. Um, you know, I was seeing two therapists at the same time for two completely different specialties. So I am a huge advocate. <laughs> you and me both and I hope the more stuff like that is talked about the less taboo it becomes yeah. and the more people realize you know it's okay I mean like god forbid we talk about our emotions and we're honest with each other <laughs> right. but um so along those lines what would what would you say is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given or the piece of advice that's really just impacted your life the most hmm I'm trying to think the most impactful advice. Gosh, I don't even know if I could narrow it down to like one thing. Maybe a couple of things. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think for, for absolutely certain, this is going to sound so cliche, but is we always, we have to be ourselves. I think, especially nowadays with social media being so incredibly prevalent, a huge part of so many of our lives, it's really, really easy to look at people's highlight reels because that's what they're posting. You know, even, even the seemingly vulnerable posts, which I'm not going to discredit or say that they're not true. They probably, I'm sure they are, but that's still, uh, something that was very thoughtfully written out, uh, written out and a photo that was very carefully curated for this purpose, <laughs> you know? And so I think that we have to be careful with that. I think that, being true to ourselves and not feeling like we need to do X, Y, Z just because we saw so-and-so do it on social media or whatever. I, th I just think it's more important than ever nowadays to really stay true to ourselves and focus on what makes us happy, what, what makes us feel good. Because it is, whew, things are getting noisy out there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so, so noisy. And even... Even when like you're in the quiet of everything, it can still be so, so noisy because you have all of these screens all around you all the time. Yeah. Um, how do you, like, how do you recommend dealing with that? How do you recommend like having, having a healthy mindset around stuff like that? And well, I guess body, body, uh, 
body positive. Jeez, Louise, that was really hard. Um, having a, bo- a positive body image. I speak English, I promise. Um, that's that'll be a separate question. Yes, and I'm so I'm so excited to talk about this because I love this. This is something that I talk about with my coaching clients all the time. So first and foremost, we need to be really selective with our inputs. That's something that I think is really easy to overlook uh, when we're constantly being bombarded by these messages that we see on Instagram or Facebook or TV. We have the option to follow or unfollow. And I am a big fan of the unfollow. And I sat down to dinner with a girlfriend of mine about a year and a half ago and we were sitting down and she was like, Hey, how's everything going? Like, are you still riding your dirt bike and stuff? And then she said, Oh yeah, by the way, I totally unfollowed you on Instagram. She's like, I have been trying to heal my relationship with fitness. And she's like, you know, you post a lot of like workouts and stuff in your Instagram stories. And she's like, and I just have to tell you, I just, it wasn't serving me. So I unfollowed you. And I was so excited to hear her say this. I loved it so much because she did what was best for her. And that's all that matters. I don't need her to follow me. We're friends. I can text her anytime I want to. You know what I mean? And if it's not serving her highest self, please do not follow me. You know, or don't follow anyone for that matter. Like anyone that is bringing you down, unfollow them. I constantly encourage our coaching clients, go through their social media, ask themselves, when I see content from this individual, is it lifting me up? Or is it bringing me down? Because it can be tricky. And I feel like particularly with women, we tend to kind of tuck inspiration under the guise uh, or tuck a fitspo under the guise of inspiration. So what I mean by that is if we're seeing someone constantly post about their new diet and, you know, all this weight they're losing, we might think, oh, this is so inspiring. But is it really? Because oftentimes it's not. Oftentimes people are using that as like a guilt and shame tactic which they kind of think it might be inspiring, but it's not, it's not helping them. What it's ultimately doing is making them feel bad about their own choices rather than bringing them up. So like, how is this adding value to your life? This person's post, how is this lifting you up? Is it making you feel bad or guilty or shameful of your own behaviors? Because if so, it's got to go. And the thing is, is you can always refollow them. You know, if you unfollow them, that's, that's like the litmus test. If you unfollow someone and you really miss their stuff and how rare is that? But if you do refollow, You know, so I think it's important to have boundaries with social media. And when I say boundaries, like not even just the time you spend on your phone, but it's also what you allow yourself to see, what you're allowing yourself to be exposed to. That's such a good point. I never thought of that that way in regards to, you know, you see somebody who's, you know, doing pull-ups or something like that and boom, like I've always considered that, okay, that's inspiration. Mm -hmm. But no, you're absolutely right because it's not it's not complete inspiration. It's also, you know, like for me, I automatically go to the spot of like pull-ups or something I've been working on for a long time and it's not <laughs> something I'm good at. And it, you know, it's, it's a whole nother noisiness factor that comes in. Yeah. God, yeah. that's a good point. So along those lines, then how do you like with having a positive body image, which, oh my God, that's so hard for me to say for some weird <laughs> reason. Um, <laughs> Uh, maybe it's because I'm in my 20s and I grew up in LA. Who knows? Um, anyway, so so obviously what you just said about social media is a big part in regards to 
helping yourself Mm -hmm. look at yourself differently, but what else do you recommend? So something else that we have our coaching clients do is we have them clean out their closet. So lots of people, I, I, I'm guessing maybe men do this too. I don't know. Uh, but women for sure, in my experience, we hold on to clothes that we wore like back in eighth grade or whatever. And we're like, ah, oh, just one day I'm going to fit into these jeans. And the thing is, is like, why are we torching ourselves? Because I did this myself. I, so when I competed in figure, I whittled myself down to a size two, which for my height and my build is very, very tiny. And I bought a pair of jeans and I bought a pair of shorts after my fear competition, rebounded, gained a bunch of weight. I held on to those shorts and jeans, like attached my self-worth to them. And I would, I had them in my closet because I thought every time I open my closet, it's going to inspire me to stay on track Well, what was happening is every time I opened my closet, I felt horrible about myself because I still couldn't fit into these friggin' jeans. And so this went on for embarrassingly like a year or two until finally I was like, what am I doing? Like I've given so much power to this pair of shorts and jeans, which is just ludicrous to say out loud. And I gave them to a friend and like moved on with my life. And it was so incredibly freeing. So to answer your question finally, is I think it's important for us, like let's clear the clutter, you know, like let's, if we have clothes that we're holding on to, you know, and I hope to fit in these one day, let's get those out of our closets. Let's get those out of our, you know, out of the dresser. A lot of people will say to me, you know, but it was so much money. And I get that. I respect that money is, we work hard for it, but our self-worth and feeling good about ourselves when we open the closet and there's nothing hanging there, but stuff that fits us well Mm -hmm. is so much more important. And if you can't bring yourself to donate it or give it away at the very least, tuck it all into a box and like put it out in the storage shed. So you don't even have to look at it every day. So I think that's a big thing too. That's so smart. Mm. That's so, so smart. I had a pair of jeans, same thing. And I actually, (laughs) this will make you feel a little bit better um, because it's, it's slightly more embarrassing. I, uh, I thought for a while about putting them up on my wall. It's just like, that's, you know what? That's the only way when I decide I want to eat all of the candy, I'm going to have the jeans right there next to my TV. (laughs) No, I love it because it's so true. That's what we do is we display it as a way to spark guilt and shame which never helps us change for the better (laughs) i don't know like it makes so much sense everything you've said but it's ridiculous that in my mind that was like it's inspiration which somehow (laughs) meant guilt and shame oh my gosh now i get it though i get it so what's next for you like what's on the docket what is next right now we are we, meaning at GGS, we're working really hard to, we uh, developed a couple of coaching and training certifications. So we have coaching and training cert for anyone who works with women in any capacity. So it could be personal trainer or coach also could be like, you know, a physical therapist or whatever. Uh, we also have a coaching and training cert for pre and postnatal, uh, pre and postnatal training cert for coaches and trainers who work with women who are pre or postnatal. So we're working really, really hard to bring a lot of awareness to those things, get those in the hands of more coaches and trainers so we can coach and train women better than we ever have before. Uh, We're also working on our coaching program that we offer for women and delivering that the very best that we can and delivering just such high value information. So we're currently just, I think that's kind of what's next for us is we're going to keep doing what we've been doing, but we just want to do it better as always. That sounds good. Yeah. 
And then how do people, I know you mentioned earlier how people would find out about Girls Gone Strong, mm-hmm. but also how can they, like, can they just get in touch with girls? Can they get in touch with you via Girls Gone Strong? Or is there another way they can get in touch with you specifically? Yeah, I mean, they can always reach out to me. So, like, my website's jencomas.com. You can email me, jen at jencomas.com. Like, I'm all over social media, so DMs too. You know, and like I said, if anyone reaches out to Girls Gone Strong, like, we will answer we always which I can definitely vouch for as well (laughs) and I'll link everything in the um in the description I write up about all of this perfect thank you for being here today I really appreciate it and you're just you're amazing and your mindset is like I've told you before it's just holding (laughs) so thank you thank you so much